0: Good morning, it's a blessing to see each of your smiling faces this morning, eagerly anticipating what God might have for us today. Um, what a blessing it is just to be here and to share uh, some of the things that I've learned the hard way as uh, we've parented for 44 years, I guess, as of yesterday. Um, I'd like to be before I begin. I'd like to uh, back up here and just talk uh, briefly about thinking about how much you want to take home with you. You're going to spend several hours here uh, listening, uh, praying, talking, sharing, and I'd like to think about what will you take home. It's not so much of what you learn here; it's what goes home with you and how you apply it. So I want to share just a few quick accountability benefits. And it says, researchers have found that individuals have the following probabilities of completing a goal by taking these actions. If you just have an idea or a goal, there's about 10% likelihood that you're going to complete the goal. Not a very good investment for your time, really, and effort for being here. If you consciously decide that you will do it, numbers make an internal determination, yes, I will do that, then your uh, probability increases to 25 percent. Deciding when you will do it, they say 40 percent. Planning how to do it, it gets a little bit more intentional, doesn't it? Is 50 percent committing to someone that you will do it, 65 percent but having a specific accountability appointment with someone you've committed to, it rises to, they say, 95%. So how many of us today want to take home more than 10%? I think we probably all do. So I want to encourage you to think about if you come up with some resolves and some commitments that you want to make, you and your wife, for your family, or maybe you personally, that if you find an accountability partner, your, your uh, probability of, of retaining much more certainly dramatically increases. So I thought I'd share that with you in the beginning here. So I want to move into the topic this morning that I've been given, is connecting to the heart of your child. And I've noted that that's your most important task. As parents, I believe of the the messages that I share with parents, I always say this is the number one, because if we don't get this one right, if we fail in this one, then so much of what we do as parents is ineffective. And I'll explain that in more detail as I go. So when I'm speaking about heart connection, what I'm really talking about is relationship, a heart relationship. I wanna also quickly add that I don't feel like I'm an authority on the subject. I've learned a lot since our parenting days, or at least our parenting days are kinda over with our children married. We're still certainly an influence there. But I've learned so much. I wish I'd learned what you're gonna have the opportunity to learn today uh, when I was a young parent. I think it would make a a difference. I know I could've done better. Um, And we'll never certainly do it all right. Um, I want to also just add that, you know, we've all failed and will fail and we're going to depend heavily on the grace of God. I think the grace of God, it does certainly fill in a lot of the gaps that we feel as parents and we can attest to that, certainly. <clears throat> so, but my appeal to you, if you see an area of change that you want to change, not only through what I'm sharing, but what the other brethren are saying. If you see that area that you want to change, do it while you still have time. Do it while you still have time. You know, I read about the Titanic, and you know, the, the captain of that Titanic ship was warned six times of pending disaster, and he ignored everyone. So if we certainly feel like there's changes we need to make, let's make them also like to begin with a story of a man who was holding parenting classes. And he was holding parenting classes in a public school and it was like a weekly class for parents. And it was maybe for like a five-week class. And he was there teaching the parents and this was the first night as he was there talking there and maybe kind of explaining how this uh, parenting thing could work. And there's one lady sitting at the front bench. She said, okay, Mr. Know-it-all, I got a question. And, she, and he was kind of taken back. And, and she says, tell me. She says, I got a daughter. She's 14 years old. She runs around at night. She sneaks off with her boyfriend. She's involved in drugs and other things. And, and she says she fights with the family, just continual tension. And uh, kind of like, you're saying this is going to work? And he just said this, he says, after he paused, kind of regained his composure, he says, tell me about your heart connection with your daughter. And she began to cry. She said, well, there is none. He said, well, let's talk after class a little bit. So anyway, he went on, shared that night, and after class, talked some more. And he shared some things with her that she could do to build connection, relationship with her daughter. And she came back the next week and she said, I can't believe what's happened. She says, there's a lot less tension. There's a lot less conflict, a lot less fighting. And uh, so it continued to improve. I think about the third time the daughter came with her and said, I want to see what you're doing to my mother. (laughs) She recognized it was mom that had changed. So that's kind of the way it is. It's really us as parents that need to change. We often see the problems in our children, but it's really maybe us. So I'm going to talk about heart parenting. Why is this so important? One is, is we are in a non neutral culture, a much different culture, radically different than it was 20 or 30 years ago, even when some of you were perhaps uh, children and growing up. The pressure is much greater than it ever was before. Also want to mention there, you've got a little notebook there. You can follow along. Uh, There's places to take notes in the notebook or on your own little tablet, whatever you want to do. But uh, that's kind of what that's for. Non-neutral culture. Pressure. Radically different values today. Uh, You know, 30, 40 years ago, some of us can remember the values were much different, much more friendly to the Christian family than what they are today. Uh, things like uh, interdependence, communication, interpersonal relationships, morality, um, close family, respect for elders, those were predominant in the 40s and 50s and 60s and maybe even into the early 70s. However, today it's much different than that. Uh, current culture is just the opposite. Independence, uh, immorality, Disrespect for elders, surface relationships. There's a lot of things, what I'm saying, a lot of things competing for the hearts of our children. And I receive a lot of calls every year from conservative groups. A lot of them are Amish. A lot of them are horse and buggy groups. Very more conservative than what we are. They take a very strong stand against technology and they're wringing their hands. They don't know what to do. One dad recently told me, he said, I've taken 12 phones away from my son. And I always kind of like to ask the question gently, well, how well has that worked? Well, not very well. He just gets another one. He just gets another one. gets another one. You see, the problem is the connection in the relationship with the dad and mom. <clears throat> and I'll explain more about that later. So um, I would just say this. An unrestricted smartphone in the hands of youth almost always leads to a larger and often negative influential peer group that you do not want. And we've seen this happen time and time and time again, and I could tell you heartbreak stories of what's happened. I don't have the time to go into that now. But... Think about the incredible power of relationship. That's kind of what we're going to talk about. Incredible power of relationship. Again, I struggled with this. I know that I wasn't the perfect father. But I'll just share you something that Janae shared with me after she was married. And and I don't tell this to build myself up because I could tell you, uh, we'll share other stories where I failed. But she said this one time, she said, Dad, she said, the thing that kept me from doing the things I knew that you would not approve of was my relationship with you. I didn't want to hurt you. And you see, if our children can, if we can have that kind of bond with our children, that they don't want to hurt us, that's the motivating factor that we want in their lives. Story of Absalom when we think about the the power of influence, we all know the story of Absalom well. You know, Absalom killed his brother, Amnon, perhaps, and was then left for about three years away from his father. And finally it was time that that I think Joab intervened and thought it was time to get this boy back and, and told David, you know, we need to bring him back. I can't remember exactly the story. But Absalom came back to the city of Jerusalem, But David said, he will not see my face. So David didn't restore the relationship. And two years went by. And finally, uh, Joab kind of brought them together. And David then uh, began a relationship. But what happened during those years? Well, David lost the heart of his son. And so what did Absalom do? We know Absalom, Mary is sitting at the city gate there. I think as scripture says there in uh, 2 Samuel 15, he says, and, and so it was whenever anyone came near to bow down to, his, to him that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And what happened? I mean, he raised a rebellion that came so close to stealing the kingdom from his dad because it wasn't a heart relationship between him and his father. So what's our goal as parents? You think about the goal. You all have goals as parents. And, and I know there's scriptural goals. I'm just going to talk right now about... We'll talk maybe about those later. We'll mention one later on. But just overall as we view our goal as parents is it obedience and compliance. And I think that this was a tendency for us as parents to focus so much on obedience and compliance. And I'm not saying that isn't important. And that's a whole different topic. But you see, if that's our focus, then we can achieve that or try to achieve that by, by manipulation or by control. Maybe there's lots of things we can do. We can try to use force. We can use bribes. We can use threats. Raising our voices. All kinds of ways to manipulate them. But that doesn't solve the real problem. The love and respect is a different approach to parenting. Love and respect is is we want to grow children, to train children, to grow up that have love and respect for their siblings, for their parents, and for those that they interact with throughout life. And if that's our goal, to, to raise children that have a loving and respectful attitude, then we have to parent through the heart. Parenting through the heart. This brings long-term changes. The other brings behavioral management. Just behavioral management if you're just trying to to get compliance. But we want long-term parenting, long-term relationship. Actions always follow the heart. I really appreciated Luke's talk and introduction yesterday. I think it laid a good foundation for what we're talking about this morning. I'm going to go through the heart. He covered these things. I agreed with everything he said. Uh, just as a visual, what is the heart? When we talk about connecting to the heart, the heart is the operating system. It's what makes everything work. This, I don't know, I know very little about computers, but it's, it's got an operating system. Windows 11 or Windows 10 is the operating system. It makes the software, it makes everything work. Um, The heart, it's what manages behavior. I'll give you a little diagram in a minute. But basically, it can be boiled down to these three different areas. One is just emotions. It's what influences the moods, the feelings, uh, the happiness, love, fear, anger. All those things are emotions. It also influences the affections. That's the loves, the likings, the fondness. It also influences the choices and also the disposition or personality. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we as parents can influence those things? Who doesn't want to influence these of our children? Who doesn't want to inf- have an influence over their emotions and their loves, or their choices, their personality, their disposition? Doesn't that sound good? You want to influence those things? I think we all do. This little diagram, I just, when I have a whiteboard, I usually draw this and explain it. But what I'm just trying to show here is is kind of another uh, example, the same thing that, that, you know, here's the heart and the heart is what's influencing the mind. The the heart gives information to the mind and the mind sends all of its thoughts to the body. And here's the body. And then the body is, is impacted through mouth, eyes, feet, hands, all the senses. So what we can see is the heart, influences the mind, and the mind is what tells the body to act. That's why the heart is so important. I'll read that scripture again. I'll mention it again. But this, this one says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, for they defile the man. Now, working from the inside out, Now, I think about this story, I think where that verse was taken from, is it's a story where the, I think it was this lawyer that came to Jesus and they said, they said uh, so Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What did He tell him? We all know. What did He say? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. That's right. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And so He said this is the greatest commandment. So He knew, Jesus knew that man would be governed by the heart. He didn't need to give him the, the list of commandments. Well, they were already there in the Old Testament. He didn't need to prioritize him or identify them, except as one. Love God with all your heart and soul, mind and, and strength perhaps. So Jesus knew that if man, if, if man would surrender his heart to God, obedience would follow. Does that make sense? So, if that's the case, then we could say that the heart is really what is going to prioritize the choices. Here again, Jesus could have pointed out to external controls, but He knew that the heart would prioritize the choices. And there's a verse in Proverbs 4.23, says, Keep or guard thy heart with all diligence, for out of it... Are the issues of life. It means out of the heart springs all the interest, all the passions, everything flows out of the heart. That's why Jesus could say that. I also wanted to mention here that verse, Matthew fifteen eighteen. Again, out of the heart proceed the, those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. They defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. There's where we get the heart, the thoughts... Uh, And then that works out into bodies, adulteries, fornications, thefts, all the, the negative things. But obviously, it works in the positive sense too, which is what we're interested in. So the heart, then, is the point of influence. If I can gain the heart of my child, then I can more likely influence him or her to make positive choices. And I can say this if I fail to gain the heart, then I disqualify myself from being able to positively influence him. That's why this is so important work for us as parents. When love and freedom replace punishment and fear as the motivating force in the relationship between parent and child, then respect and obedience will be more evident. I'll say that again. When love and freedom replace punishment and fear in the motivating force in the relationship between parent and child, then respect and obedience will be more evident. The more you try to control, the more they want their freedom. I've seen this time and time again. I've seen it in my own family. I've seen it in countless times in working with couples. That the more parents try to control, it's kind of like taking away that phone. Just keep taking away that phone. It's a control. I'm not saying that you should allow the phone. I'm not saying that. There's a deeper problem. But the more you keep trying to control the more they pull back. I give a good illustration of this is, is loading horses. You know, I first started working with horses and, and I could get there and I could get a horse and I could bring him up to the back of a trailer with a lead rope. I get him right almost there and he wouldn't step in and so I pull harder and pull harder. I'm helpless against a 1,200 pound horse. Here I am a little 150, 160 pound man pulling on this 1,200 pound horse. It's impossible, but I learned a secret. And it almost works every time. So you put pressure on the lead rope and you, you pull. And the horse pulls back a little bit and he sees that you're not gonna force him, you're just gently pulling. And then he begins to take a step and you release. And he takes a step forward. And you put a little tension again. And again, he starts to come forward and you release. And he takes a step forward and is isn't long. And he jumps in the trailer. And I think that this, I realize that our children aren't horses. Oh, my battery's running low. Hmm. Guess I better plug it in. Hopefully I'll fix that problem. I thought that thing was... There we go. Um, okay, what I was saying. So, the horse comes in because he wants to. That's kind of that's the bottom line. Um, as I'm saying, I can't drag him. He follows willingly. But but there's a trust relationship that's being expressed to the horse. And I think that that's the same. Communication we want to communicate to our children is that trust relationship. I'll talk more about that later. I'm going to say, if we get done here at the end, we'll have a little time for questions. And so if you have questions, you can make a note and we'll try to talk about them. So the main goal of parenting is to change the heart, not the behavior. Now this sounds strange, maybe. I don't know. Oh, we want to change the behavior. But let's think about it. The main goal then, as parents, is to change the heart. Connect to that heart. Don't focus on the behavior. Well, of course, there's consequences, there's boundaries, there's all those things, but let's just keep the focus on the relationship. So, behavior governed by rules or heart. What I'm trying to show here is that if behavior is governed only by rules, then you have to be present. You've got to be there to enforce them. In other words, like the policeman, you know, if there are speed limit signs, but no one to enforce them, nobody obey them. I shouldn't say nobody. A lot of people wouldn't obey the speed laws. But if by the heart, then he follows them even when you're absent. They follow them even when you're absent. And that's kind of what Janae was saying is that she knew the things I, I, I believed and I felt and, 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 and didn't want to offend me. So even when I wasn't there, she's saying that she didn't want to offend me. That was governing her behavior. It's your heart connection that gives them the desire to allow their conscience to govern them. Does that make sense? It's the heart connection that gives them the desire to allow their conscience to govern them. I want to read you a, a little note I got out of a book that I've, I really helped me in a lot of these areas. He said this, he says, When the law dictates compliance, you need the presence of the punisher to protect the laws. When my heart is connected to your heart, my decisions are designed to protect our relationship no matter how far out of my presence you are. I actually live in your presence when my heart is connected to your heart. And the deposit that you have made inside my life steers me in your absence. Isn't that what we want? We want, we want our children to, to be steered by their God given conscience or the conscience that they've developed as as Christian children, we want that conscience to steer them, even when we're not there. <clears throat> I'll give you an example. This last year was at conference, I was going to Columbus, Pick Josh up. And as I'm flying going not flying, I'm going down the highway, 70, whatever it is, toward Columbus. And I was had my crew set at about 70 or whatever it was, 72. And I noticed cars were just flying by me. And, and then all of a sudden, I seen taillights. All these cars in front of me, I saw a lot of taillights. And I thought, oh, I wonder what's going on up here. Well, you can probably guess. You know, just a quarter mile down the road, there's an officer. You see, those people were only governed by the presence of the law instead of by their heart. You know, the Christian, obviously, should be governed by his heart and follow the speed laws because that's, that's what he should do. That's what the Bible says. At the ranch, when I would work with boys, I would call them in for a weekly meeting. And we'd sit down and we'd talk about their behavior and talk about uh, progress that maybe they were making. And I would often see negative behaviors, kind of like this tree that has the works of the flesh. Things like lying, stealing, arguing, bragging, disrespect, and bullying. And and if I would just point blank ask him, why are you acting that way? What's wrong with you? Well, he'd just defend himself. But I learned to, to ask deeper questions and try to find out what's going on underneath. What's what's the cause, the root cause? And, you know, the the point here is it's the root that determines the fruit. And oftentimes we're battling negative behaviors in children and and we're trying to to deal with with some negative behaviors. And so our tendency sometimes is, is to increase the consequences rather than look at the cause, look at the root cause. And think about what could be the root problem. I want to just share with you a question. I hope you won't forget. If you forget everything else today that I say, don't forget this. When you see negative things coming out in your children, ask this question. What does my child need? When children misbehave, when there's negative behaviors, there's a need that they're trying to get filled. And so... So ask yourself, what could be the need? What could be the the underlying cause? And you're probably always going to uncover insecurity because oftentimes that's the root problem. So then the next question is, how can I make him or her feel more secure in my relationship? I'll tell you a story. When I was 10 years old, we moved from the valley California up into the mountains. I was insecure. I was leaving a school and friends that was familiar to me and moving to a new area. Uh, no other German Baptist children there. Just, uh, uh, there was an old brother and boy there, David Cover. But for the most part, I felt like a, a fish out of water. And I was insecure. And, and so during the day, I would uh, tell the teacher, Mrs. Leuchoir, I'm not feeling very good today. Well, that's too bad, she'd say. You know, why don't you just go lay in the janitor's room? There's a little cot there. You can just lay down there. And when you get feeling better, come on back to class. I think she's afraid I might lose my friskies or something. I don't know. So I'd do that. I'd lay down in there for a little bit, a little while, maybe half hour, an hour, she would come back. you feeling any better? No, I'm not feeling any better. Well, I guess I'll call your mom. So she call my mom and my mom would come and get me and take me home. And I might go home and lay down on the couch a little bit and moan and groan a little bit. And pretty soon I would get back up and felt pretty good. I would go outside and play. Well, this went on for several weeks. It wasn't every day, but I mean, it was like maybe every once a week or every other week. I can't remember it, but it kept going on. Finally, my mom got worried. Now there's something wrong with him. He probably got some disease. And so she took me to the doctor. And I remember this little old country doctor, Dr. Coombs. She was a widow lady. She checked me out a little bit and probably poked and probed. I don't remember it. Mom told me about this later. And she told my mom, she said, I don't think there's anything wrong with his stomach. She said, I think he's just insecure. She says, you just pour on love and see what happens to him. Just pour on love. Find ways to pour on love. My mom did that, and my stomach aches went away. At least that's what she told me. (laughs) You see, my mom got to the source of the problem, the root of the problem, didn't she? It was insecurity. It was a lack of... Perhaps of love. I and mean, It wasn't like she was neglecting me. <clears throat> so here's some reasons we need to gain the heart. Number one is to reveal a picture of the loving father. So when our children are born, do they have a concept of God? Does a little two-year-old have any concept of God at all? No, they don't. I mean it's hard enough for us as adults to, to get a concept of, of God. yeah, children are born you know with this, with this void they, they, they don't know they don't have a concept of who God is. and so children see God through the lens of their father, and this probably isn't new to you. but let's keep this in focus that, that children, their only way of understanding Who God is and His personality and how God relates to people is through the lens of daddy. So what image do I portray? Think about that. Do I portray a loving, caring, connected father? Or do I convey a grumpy, maybe disconnected, maybe distant, maybe irritable? God, Father. See, whatever image how I'm living is portraying an image of God. A couple of uh, uh, family come to me one time and brought a 16-year-old boy. And they said, they told me a story. This boy was suicidal. He tried to take his life with pills and, and didn't succeed. And so they brought him to me to see if I could help him. Well, I knew a little bit of the inside story of what was going on even before the boy arrived. But I took the boy and we went up on a four-wheeler up on the mountain there at the ranch. And I just sat down and listened and let him talk. And this is a question he asked me. He said this, he says, How could God care about me? How could God have time for me? How could I be important to God when my earthly father has eight children and he doesn't care about me? He doesn't take time for me. You know, to me, that was an exact uh, uh, illustration of what I'm trying to share with you. He was perceiving God through the lens of daddy. I mentioned to fill a void, got ahead of myself. So we have this daddy void in us. I'm speaking to dads right here, but a lot of this applies to moms too. Again, children are born with this void. And this void is like a vacuum. You know, you take a vacuum, it sucks up anything that gets close to it. And so if this void isn't filled by us as parents, it will be filled by something. It will suck something up. And that's why you find that the children are oftentimes, um, they have these deep longings. Of course, we all have longings anyway. But these longings then are either going to be filled either by peers or by parents initially. Peers or parents. What, what do you want that void to be filled with as parents? Do you want it to be filled by peers? Or do you want to fill that void as parents This comes out in a variety of ways. At the ranch, a lot of the boys we had there was very insecure and oftentimes you would hear this conversation. You know, they're filling the void with big talk. Big trucks. Muscles. How much weight they could press. Fast cars. I mean, they're filling that void with things that don't matter. Oftentimes, Um, so boys gravitate towards this fascination with with power. Girls often fill that void fascinated by boys, by perhaps relationships too early or too young. I recently had a call this past year of a distraught Amish family. They had a 16-year-old girl and as he reported to me, what was happening is that, that she would come, um, she'd be home, and somehow she got a phone. And so she began communicating with a boy. And it wasn't long, and that boy would show up on Friday nights and, and uh, uh, take her away. And there was nothing the dad could do to stop her. I mean, he, didn't, he, he couldn't interfere, he I mean, couldn't physically hold her. I mean, he tried to discourage her from going. I don't know the whole story, but he she would go with him for the weekend, come back. This happened week after week. I don't know the end of that story. I, I wish I did and I probably could if I made a phone call. But there was a strained relationship. This is the same father, and I know this is abusive and this doesn't this is none of us. <laughs> I but I and I, I don't think this is you. But but he would use I um he used a rebar. Who one time discipline one of his sons. His, his rod was a, rebar, a little piece of steel rebar. Very strict, very angry dad. <clears throat> so, filling the void. Um, a child who feels he's highly valued will not be as susceptible to temptation. I'm not saying that they won't. I'm not saying that children don't have choices. I hope you don't misunderstand me. They do. But I'm just saying this is in general how how children relate to their parents and how they relate to their peers. Another reason to gain the heart is to communicate faith. Reception is based on relationship. The stronger the relationship, the greater the reception Open hearts receive truth. Closed hearts believe lies and build walls. I remember an older father telling me, and he said this, he says, I don't know what happened to my son. He said, We had family devotions every night. And, he, and unfortunately, it didn't turn out to be a very good ending. Well, what I'm trying to communicate here is that open hearts receive truth. And so if the heart is open let's take this water and we'll call this truth and we can pour the, the truth into the heart and it just keeps receiving it. We can keep pouring more water into the truth, into the heart and it keeps receiving the truth. This may be family devotions, it may be whatever teaching during the day, we're just keep, I mean, this is our job as parents, right? Keep filling their hearts with the truth of God and His Word. And we can keep doing this, and and I suppose there's a saturation level somewhere that we'd reach there. But closed hearts believe lies. Closed hearts are not receptive to truth. And so we can take truth and we can have family devotions, We all know what happens. We can keep pouring in more teaching and more family devotions and keep preaching and we can can keep doing this. Nothing's going to get inside. Again, I have to speak in generalities. I'm not saying that they'll forget everything we tell them. I'm not saying that. But just in general, an open heart is receptive to truth. And oftentimes that's why, you know, we can have a, a, a very strict regimen of devotional life and devotions and whatnot, and that's a struggle. A lot of parents will say, you know, my son just won't listen. He sits at family devotions and he makes faces and he does, you know, whatever. He's not interested because of a lack of relationship. If you have your child's heart, you have their ear. Invest in their heart before you try to speak truth to them. <clears throat> Psalm 78.5 I just mentioned earlier about a goal for us as parents. Says he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. I think that's the goal of us as parents is to make God's laws known to our children, to communicate that faith. So, another reason to gain the heart is Satan is a heart thief. John. 10.10 says the thief comes to only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what I'm saying here is if we don't have the heart, Satan has access to it. And whoever gets the heart gets the life. The single most prevalent cause of disharmony in the home is a closed heart. And again, I hope you understand me. I'm speaking in generalities of my experience only. I realize that some of you have different experiences. And, and, and you know, and anytime you, you share a message like this, that it, it impacts us differently. We're all at different stages. And, and I'm not trying to say that this is a, a one-size-fits-all. But in general, if we don't gain the heart, the devil can certainly influence it. <clears throat> oh, I should pause and tell another story here, you know, about myself. And I'm going to share at the conclusion here of, of uh, how to, to resolve or how to gain a heart back. But, you know, there were times even with my family, my own children, that I felt like I lost connection. And there were there were reasons why that happened. And I was just thinking about uh, Janae, you know, tell another story on her, it's really on me. But, but there was just a time when we were so busy at the ranch, and I felt like I was disconnected from her, and I just felt that disconnection. And... And I just sensed that you know, she was wanting to gravitate more toward our neighbor family who was helping there at the ranch and focus more on, on time with them, this, the, with this other family than helping in the house and helping in other areas. And I sensed a disconnection. So what I'm saying, what I'm saying about a heart disconnection, it doesn't mean that your children go off in, in, in bad things, into sin. It's just there's this disconnection that I felt. I'll talk about that. How I work to regain that back. So, building a healthy connection. One is establish the early. You many of you are young parents. Some of you don't even have children yet. But when you do, establish that connection early. Um, Lots of ways to do that. But reading stories, playing games together, holding, hugging. I'll talk about more ways later. But I want to say this, is that they say you have about nine years to really establish this heart connection. And the greater that connection is, the better it goes for the teen years. It's like if we, it's kind of some of those things, you do the hard work now. It makes the teen years go much better. Establish it early. Keep asking yourself the question, how can I solidify a strong relationship bond? Keep asking that question. Um, So establishing early positive reinforcement. That's what helps establish the identity of a child when they hear that reinforcement from their parents. You know, when you teach a child to walk and, and he falls down, you don't say, oh, you clumsy child. Come on, walk. You know how it is. You know, they first begin to, to stand a little bit, and and oh, you're so excited, and and you know, pretty soon you say, hey, "Come to daddy," you know, and and they take that first step. And so we're so encouraging. Well, that's the way we need to be, you know, as they're growing, encouraging, hear that positive reinforcement in all areas of life. <clears throat> um teaching them, you know, what you did that, that makes you happy and pleased. Um, anyway, there's so many things I could talk about there, positive reinforcement. Um, I'll just say here maybe that, that this positive reinforcement is, hel- is what helps give a child value and self-worth. And, and the higher a child feels valued, I'm not talking about pride. I'm just talking about self-worth. The, the more they feel valued, the better they will behave. There's always that correlation between value and behavior. The, the, the higher value they feel, the more secure they feel, the better they behave. Behavior follows value. And it goes the other way too. You know, we'll talk about that maybe a little more detail later. But positive reinforcement, just some ideas. Catch them doing something right. Look for the things they do right and praise them. And again, say, that made me happy. Some children wonder, can I ever make my mom happy or dad happy? But that positive reinforcement, one minute praises, you know, those can be just little things, you know, like um, whatever, they clear off the table without being asked. And they could just be a praise. And you can say, Susie, that made me so happy. You cleared the table off without even being asked. What you're doing is you're in, encouraging the in, uh, initiative. And, and you say, that makes me happy. They hear how it makes you feel. Think about the value of a child when they hear mom or dad say, wow, that really made me happy. I say one minute, I mean, it's just because it didn't take long. You don't have to do it for five minutes. It actually takes 30 seconds or 15 seconds. Be sincere, no flattery. Express your confidence in them. Give them undivided attention is another one. You know, sometimes in our world, it's so easy to be on our phones. We come home and we're still catching up from work. Give that undivided attention. I like a story of a girl who was adopted and she was... uh, she'd come in to her uh, dad's study. His dad was a busy man. He had his office there in the home. And she would want his attention and he left the door open. And so she would come in and and he would turn to her and he would say, oh, come on in, Susie, come on in. And she would sit on his lap and he would just take a few minutes to just affirm her, even though she was busy. And she'd get her little emotional tank filled and she'd run back on, off, it's amazing how, and this, this girl grew up very secure. Undivided attention. Um, I want to also mention this. One dad called me and he said, you know, my daughter's lying. He said, I, how do I deal with this lying issue? And um, so I, I asked him a question. I said, so how much time are you interacting with her? How much time are you spending with her? Well, he said, maybe that's the problem and never heard back from him for a while later on he told me what happened he said when i called you he said i thought you'd give me a list of consequences things i should do but he said you didn't you just went to the main problem he says so i just started spending a little time with her he said not long he said i'd come in and he says i just just look at her in the eyes and and ask her how she's doing and and Give her some focused attention and go about my day. He says, it wasn't like I spent long, a lot of time there. But just frequent interaction with her. He said, the lyingness went away. Again, asking, what does my child need? Undivided attention. Quality time. So much could be said about this. Um, Quality time. You know, sometimes as dads, we're busy, busy, busy. A lot of us work. A lot of us, would work 10-hour days, and if you travel half an hour to an hour uh, to your job, you're gone 12 hours a day. and It's really hard to find quality time with our children, so sometimes we try to make up for it on the weekends. That doesn't always work with, with our children. I realize that we have employment situations, we maybe we can't always change. But somehow we've got to be able to interact with them, make deposits into their heart every day. Every interaction is an opportunity for a deposit or withdrawal in the heart of our child. Five ways to know if we have their heart. One, do they respect and obey me? I'm not talking about perfect obedience, but just in general. Is there a general desire to respect and obey me? Do they have a desire to please me? Proverbs 17, 6 says children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children are their fathers. Do they have a general desire to please? Am I connected with them? You know, again, we can tell if there's a heart connection. Do I feel that connection with them? Do I have to raise my voice? You know, sometimes it's so easy to get in the habit of, of amping up our voice. And the reason we do that is because we've not enforced the limits that were already set. And so we have to remind them and remind them and remind them, and they haven't listened. And so we finally think, well, maybe a few more uh, decibels will help. And so we amp it up. But children perceive that as anger. When we raise our voice, they can sense dad or mom is frustrated, and they perceive that, and that drives them their heart away from us. <clears throat> I'll talk about that, and maybe in a minute, a little more. Is there a strain on relationship? Again, like I told you a little bit about um, about you know Janae. It was just like there was just a strain. Wasn't bad things, but I could just sense that there was a strain. And you know, if, if we would deal with those things, when we first notice them, they're oftentimes so much easier to deal with and we sometimes just think, well, maybe it'll get better. <clears throat> Are we connected to the heart? we have to hurry up here. CPR is just what I call child-parent relationship. You know, if somebody is unconscious, we know that There's a reason, they're not responding, and so we train to give CPR. When our children aren't responding to us in the discipline, do a little CPR. Check, is there a disconnection? Is there distractions? Is there quality time that they're lacking? Is there mutual respect? It's a two-way street. I have to respect them if I want them to respect me. The value of trust. Trust is foundational for relationship. We understand that in marriage. Um, Trust is what gives a child initiative to please. And I'll give you a quick story on this. When I was being, I was in a public school in the 70s, and a neighbor man came to my dad one time and he said, he said, don't you worry about your children getting into drugs? He said, I know, it's, you know it's, it's rampant in the schools. you worry about that? My dad said, no. He says, I don't worry about that. He says, I have a relationship with my sons. And he says, I don't think they would do that to me. And he went on to tell some of the things he did for us and the way that relationship was flourishing. And <clears throat> dad communicated that to Marshall and I. But there were many times, several times, that I had opportunity, I was standing in a circle, I can remember this very clearly, and a marijuana cigarette was being passed around to me, passed around to a few of my friends. And, you know, I had to do something with it, so I took it and I handed it to the next guy. I had no desire for it. And I want to say it wasn't because I had deep moral convictions. I didn't. That wasn't why. I had done other things that were probably as bad or as bad. But somehow, Dad communicated to me, he trusted me not to. This is what I'm saying, is trust gives a desire to please. Marshall's told me, he said, it affected him the same way. He had the same opportunities. Affected him the same way. So trust is what gives a desire to please when it's extended before they have the opportunity to break it must be clearly communicated ahead of time. What I think also illustrates, trust raises the bar for behavior. When it's betrayed, we need to reestablish it as quickly as possible. A lot of parents will say, well, what do I do? You know, they've already blown this trust thing. Tell them, you don't want to restore that trust as quickly as we can. So could you prove to me, you know, today or tomorrow, that you can do whatever... And then I want to trust you again. Let's try it again. Let's try to reestablish that trust as quickly as we can. This is a proverb. Uh, remember, I told you about in the beginning about how, how, when we have a relationship, the rules stand whether dad is present or not. And back to that little illustration I was telling you about. I remember, I was six. I was in oftentimes in Modesto with friends. My dad was in, up in the mountains. So, dad didn't have to be present for me to want to obey his rule. This proverb, my son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace into thy head and chains about thy neck. I know there's lots of applications of that. The One little one I take of that, is that there was a connection. My dad had a chain around my neck to his hand or to his heart, but I put it there. Or he put it there, just simply by trust. So key points. Relationships are like a magnet that connect our values to our faith. You know, you take those magnets and when they're, when they're polarized or when they're facing the right direction, they attract. But you try to turn the magnet around and, and if it's not polarized correctly, it, it pushes against each other. A good relationship covers a multitude of sins. That 1 Peter 4:8. above all things have fervent charity among yourselves. Charity shall cover the multitude of sins. I think what that's saying is that, that a strong relationship, this loving relationship, children will overlook our faults, overlook our weaknesses. doesn't mean that we can take that as liberty. But we need to be covered. We're going to make mistakes. We make a lot of them. Your primary hope of positive influence is a loving relationship. Ways we can lose the heart, quickly here, conditional love. If we only praise them and reward them when they do things right, then they get the idea, oh, love is conditional. And they need to understand that we love them, even though they fail. And, and when they fail, they make a mistake we need to communicate. I'll walk with you through the process of restoration. So they understand that they're not just pushed aside and, and left alone. Don't feel that condi- uh, unconditional love. <clears throat> Shame-based correction. And I, I'll say I, I know that we were guilty of this. I didn't know better. But I know I've said these words, you should have known better. Or we may have said the words, you should be ashamed of yourself. Or why can't you do something right? Um, You see the the shame that's being attached to the character of the child. So shame says you should have known better. It's attacking them. You're dumb. You're stupid. We may not intend for that to, to be communicated, but that's often what's communicated. Um, scolding means to rebuke someone in a demeaning way. It attacks character and destroys their will. Just never, never scold a child. It doesn't correct the problem. <clears throat> Criticism. Criticism attacks the person, not the behavior. Correction, on the other hand, addresses the behavior, not necessarily their personhood. Another thing, way we can lose the heart is passive parenting. Passive parenting just lacks decisive leadership, fails to make clear boundaries, enforce them, fails to invest time in relationship, fails to communicate values. Remember one boy at the ranch, you know, just he, he, he felt so low when he came. He was so, his, his self-image, his view of who he was was, was very uh, very deteriorated. And this was the problem, is that, that he didn't... Um, his dad was very passive. He'd take him to church, but he never had meaningful conversation with him. Maybe take him on the truck ride or wherever he was going, but no meaningful conversation. Um, he failed to communicate values. Um, anger, raising our voice to correct or get attention. I think I've already covered that. Proverbs 11:29 says, "He that troubles his own house shall inherit the wind." Another one: distracted fathers. And I'll say that this was a challenge for me. Probably Josh could attend to that. I mean, I know that in the busyness of life, I was too busy. And one of you mentioned something, a little quote about busyness. I kind of forget what it was. And, and, and being busy isn't always bad. It's what we do with our time when we're home. And I, I think that that's what's important. Um, sometimes that distracted dad could have a materialistic focus. And, and I will admit to that. I don't think I recognized it. But I think I had more of a materialistic focus than I really wanted to communicate. Um, fails to devote quality time, uh, fails to provide spiritually. That verse in 1 Timothy 1.58 says, He that provides not for his own. Um, probably you could, <laughs> the rest of you could quote it, and provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, has denied the faith. And it's worse than an infidel. We apply that to to financial means. But if it applies to that, how much more to the spiritual needs of our family. So distracted dads can easily disconnect from the heart by lack of relationship. And I can just identify with that. And I'll just say this, that I've talked to many young men who who have gone astray, who have gone the wrong way. And and found themselves deep into sin and deep into things that that were were very uh, uh, that they would regret today. But a lot of it was because of of a distracted father, too busy. Gaining the heart back, Malachi four six says, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to the fathers. You know, the message of John the Baptist was repentance. It was repentance. It was turning back to God. And here he says that, that I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I smite the earth with a with curse. You notice that the father's heart is turned to the child first. Um, Becoming soft and tender. That just means that, that we humble ourselves before our children if we've lost the heart. And I'll say that that's what I've done probably more than once to my own children is gone back to them and said, I know I was too distracted or I know whatever it was and ask, will you forgive me? And I, I just remember that the one conversation you know, I just invited one of my sons. I says, I want you to tell me how we've hurt you. And and he opened up and he just shared the ways that we'd hurt him. And we, we didn't defend ourselves. We just said, I'm sorry. Will you forgive us? I'm sorry. Will you forgive us? And it seemed like that poured the oil of healing in. And I think that this is, is, is a call, you know, for... For us as fathers, just look for these opportunities to repent, to humble ourselves, to pour in the oil of healing. And many of you are young parents, um, and and perhaps that won't happen. But we won't be perfect. We know that. We will fail. And and there's hope for us. You know, Isaiah 61. Uh, just went. Luke went to there last night. But I just want to turn just to to there and just read a couple of verses as I close here. This has been true in my life. It's, God is still redeeming my failures as a father. And I, and I trust He'll continue to do so. But He says this. He says in verse 3, I'm just going to read a few verses here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance upon our God to comfort all that mourn. And this is what I wanted. To appoint to them that mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes. And I've seen this over and over in my life. I'm going to give you hope because you will fail. But God gives beauty for ashes. He can take the ashes of our life and make something beautiful beautiful. And some of you have testimony of that. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old waste places and they shall raise up the former desolations and repair the waste cities and the desolations of many generations. Never, never give up hope. I remember a story years ago I shared at a broken home seminar. And this mother came in and and I was at a church and we were supposed to stand there and and greet people as they left. This mother came in and she had this beaming smile on her face. And and as she walked up to me, she said, and, and I ended the message, would never give up, always keep hope. And, and she had this smile and she said, you gave me hope. I'm not going to give up. And she told me her story. She had two sons that were in prison. Her father was, her husband was in, was, uh, had left the home, family. But never, never give up.